G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Back in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob's day, words were like a binding contract. They were like a covenant. Hi, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today, Pastor Jeff's message starts with the story of Abraham and his son Isaac, and his sons Esau and Jacob. It's called The Power of a Blessing. What do we mean by blessing? Here's what we mean when I say blessing. It is having the uniquely valuable person to you say, you are uniquely valuable to me. Mother, father, husband, wife, somebody that you hold in high regard, say to you, you are uniquely valuable to me. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Man, I'm so glad you're here this weekend. If you have a Bible with you, and I hope you do, turn over to Genesis Genesis chapter 27, and this is a, a powerful narrative, folks, from the time that I thought about doing this series called Rerouting. I look forward to the weekend when I'd be able to deal with this narrative. So here's how the story goes. Stay with me. Then we're going to make some beautiful application on the other side. And I've told you before, man, read your Bible. It's filled with stories like this one. So let's go back now. Here's what happens to set the stage. Abraham is visited by God. That that right there is cool in itself. God shows up, talks to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations and I'm going to bless your descendants. And you're going to have so many children, which back in the day was a pretty cool thing. Uh, You're going to have so many children. They're going to be as numerous as the sand on the seashore, as the stars in the sky. That's a great promise. They wait about 27 years before they have a son. 27 years after the promise, Isaac shows up. Now, Isaac grows up to be a man. He is the child through whom the promise of the Messiah, who will save generation after generation, the promise of God coming down to man, the promise we have of eternal life, all of that coming through Isaac. He's the born son. Now, Isaac grows up and gets married. Who does he marry? Bible's called, oh, some, thank God somebody reads their Bible. And Rebecca. He marries Rebecca. They have two sons. One is Jacob. The other is Esau. Now, Jacob and Esau are twins. And as they're born, how many of you remember the little flannel graph? Come on, when you're in Sunday school. Uh, how many of you are showing your age here? I'm 48. Flannel graph. And my Sunday school teacher would throw on the flannel graph. You got Jacob and Esau, and especially this little, little pace, this little cardboard characters. You would have Esau being born. And what was Jacob doing? He was grabbing the heel of his brother, trying to pull him back into the womb so that he could be the firstborn son. Now, why was it important to be the firstborn? When you read the Old Testament, you read about the patriarchal system. And let me tell you something. You read about it, but it's not from God. The things you read in the Bible doesn't mean that God approves of these things. It just means they're a history of how the people of God responded and reacted. Every time you read something in the Bible, it doesn't mean God's approving of what you're reading. This is history, and history records what truly happened. Now, the patriarchal system worked like this. Firstborn son would get basically the majority of the goods. Doesn't that stink? You think about it. And the reason they would do this was strictly for wealth and status. 
Because if you divided up the goods when the father died between the brothers and the sisters equally, that meant that other families would come in and marry the sons and daughters and the wealth would be distributed. And then your wealth would decrease. So what they would do is give the primary part of the wealth to the firstborn son so that it would remain in the family and then he would pass it down to his firstborn son so that the family name would survive. There would be wealth and status. Now, that's all well and good if you're the firstborn son. If you're not, it really stinks. I mean, you, you don't get much. And imagine generation after generation, how much anger and bitterness and envy. And this is exactly what happens in the story of Jacob and Esau. They fight over this birthright from the time they are born. And it wreaks havoc on generation after generation, family after family. Now the time comes, according to the story, that Isaac is about to die. He's on his deathbed, losing his eyesight. And, and so it's a tough time for him. And he calls Esau in. Esau is his favorite. You talk about a world of hurt in one passage of scripture. The Bible says, Isaac loved Esau while Rebekah loved Jacob. Do you sense any family problems here from the get-go? And so Isaac calls Esau, and Esau's a man's man. Man, the Bible tells us he's hairy, he's an outdoor type. We found a picture on Google of him. He, he looks incredible, a lot like Dane. I thought, wow, that's, that's amazing. Hairy guy, loves to hunt. What a coincidence. Isaac loves to eat wild game. Esau, his firstborn son, loves to hunt, kill, and cook wild game. So that makes him even more the favorite. The time comes that, he, that Isaac's going to die. He calls Esau into the tent. And he says, Esau, go out and take that bow and arrow. And I can imagine Isaac teaching his favorite son, Esau, how to shoot the bow and arrow, you know, and hit the bullseye every time. He says, take that bow and arrow that I taught you how to shoot so well. Go kill some wild game. Cook me up a feast. Come on into the tent. We're going to eat. We're going to drink. And I am going to pass on to you the blessing of the firstborn. So Esau's all excited. I mean, he's, he's going to get his inheritance and everything's going to be good. So he goes out to do it. Rebecca hears what's going on because she's listening and she's going to have none of this. She calls Jacob her favorite. Now the Bible says Jacob was a smooth guy, didn't have much hair on his body, kind of thin and kind of spent a lot of time with his mom. So he's kind of like a mama's boy. Nothing wrong with that. It is what it is. And, uh, and Jacob, <laughs> and Jacob says, mom, what's up? And mom says, I want you to go out into the field and bring me two of the best goats out there. Why? Because we're going to go steal the blessing, man. Well, how are we going to do that, mom? Because I'm going to cook Isaac his favorite meal, and he's going to think it came from Esau. And then I'm going to put some goat skin on your less than hairy hands in the back of the smooth part of your neck so that if he touches you, you'll feel just like Esau. And not only that, I'm going to put Esau's clothes on you and you're going to smell just like Esau. And then you're going to go into the tent and you're going to receive the firstborn blessing. We're going to fool. We're going to trick your father into giving you the blessing. Jacob says, well, mom, wait a minute. That's all well and good. But what if he realizes what we're doing and I'm caught? Then he'll curse me and the rest of my life is over. And Rebecca says something interesting. She said, don't worry, son. If he curses you, I'll take the curse on myself so that you can have the firstborn blessing. Now we pick up the story there in verse 18. Here's what happens. He went to his father, did Jacob, my father. And Isaac says, yes, my son, who is it? Jacob has said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn, you stinking liar. I have done as you've told me. Lie number two, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord, your God gave me success. He replied, lie number three, he's a conniving little liar. 
I mean, the Lord helped me? The Lord helped me? Really? Man, I've heard that story before. That's another sermon. Okay, here's what happens. Isaac knows something's amiss. He smells like Esau. He feels like Esau. He cooks like Esau, but the voice is not quite right. Isaac wants a closer look, so he says to Jacob, come closer, let me kiss you. Now, why would he do that? Man, because when you kiss somebody, you're gonna get a real sense of smell. And so here's what happens. He went and he kissed him, and when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, I love this past. The smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Can, can, you, can you see this? The, the smell of the field cologne. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. And Jacob stole the blessing. Now, if you're like me, that's the passage of some packet, and we're going to make our application. If you're like me, you're thinking, well, wait a minute. Why doesn't Isaac just call him back in and unbless him? What's the big deal, right? Why doesn't he call him back in? You tricked me. You know, may the, may the fleas of a thousand camels infest your armpits. You know, <laughs> may all of your livestock be like gravy sucking pigs, you know, just something like that. I take it all back because Rebecca and Jacob both had to know that Isaac was going to find out when Esau came back with his feast. So why can't you just, how do you steal a blessing? As a matter of fact, that's exactly what the Bible says happened. Esau returned and he had prepared this great feast, probably hunted all day, gathered, prepared it himself, went to great lengths to please his father, came into the father's tent and said, father, Isaac, here's the meal I prepared. Sit up, let's eat and drink. And then you can give me the blessing. And now Isaac, according to verse 32, his father, Isaac, asked him, well, who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, well, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. So according to the passage, it's evident that Jacob and Esau and Isaac and Rebekah don't believe the blessing can be taken back. Now, that brings me to question number two. Stay with me. What is blessing? Now, blessing in the Western culture in America is really nothing more than a glorified compliment, right? The problem is in America, we've lost our ability to bless each other because we're suspicious of each other. Let me give you an example. We stopped at a Mexican restaurant. There was a family, mother, father, and a little probably four-year-old girl. And I walked over to the family while they were eating. And I, and I said to the little four-year-old girl, I said, you must be, I think you're the prettiest little girl I've seen in a long time. Man, she started smiling and her mother started smiling. And the father looked at me like I was some nasty, sick old guy. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And this was one of the few times in my life I was at a loss for words. What do you say? I'm a pastor. Well, maybe that won't help. You know? So I'm thinking, man, I, and I just walked out. I, I was just silent. I think, man, I, you can't even tell a young girl anymore that she's pretty because of all the sickos in the world. That's the world we live in because we're suspicious of one another. Now, that's the way it is with us. Back with them, though, back in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob's day, words were like a binding contract. They were like a covenant. When you spoke them, you were held accountable for them. And especially on your deathbed, when you speak words to your children, it was like a will that could not be broken. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Pastor Jeff is speaking about Isaac being deceived into blessing Jacob instead of Esau. 
and how we are suspicious of blessing each other in today's world. Now, if we stopped there, that would be enough, but it goes far beyond that. Robert Alter, who is an Old Testament scholar who really understands Hebrew narrative says, but wait a minute, there's something else going on here. And let me read it to you. He says, this narrative assumes that symbolic actions have genuine abiding power, that spoken words, especially from a parent to a child, shape our human life. Did you see that? That actions have genuine abiding power, symbolic actions, spoken words, especially from a parent to a child, shape the human life. And then Dr. Tim Keller commenting about this commentary says that even offhanded comments that have been made to you and me throughout the course of our lives, whether blessing or condescending comments or condemnations have moved into your life and are still operating right now. They've shaped and formed you. What your parents said to you, what your coach said to you, people that you hold in high regard, still shaping who you believe yourself to be. Now, I've seen this work in my own life. I've told you the story before that I, uh, I was on a high school basketball team, five starters, four of us got division one scholarships, one of us didn't, and you know who that one is. One of the players was the better player, far above the rest of us. He went to an ACC school and was a starting point guard for one of those schools, and I wanna be careful here, I don't wanna give his name, but he was really respected in my hometown. I grew up in a town of 16,000, so it wasn't exactly a metropolis. So if you were a basketball player in my hometown, you were like a god with a small g. And my high school basketball coach asked all five of us starters to come back and to do a basketball camp for the little guys in our community, and we agreed to do it, so we started to do it year after year. This guy that was the better player among all of us, I don't know how to say it other than saying, the guy was a jerk, man. I mean, I know pastors aren't supposed to say that, uh, but he, he was, he just, just a jerk. And, and when I tell you what he did, this is just one example. And I don't know what the Greek word for jerk is, maybe moros, moron, whatever, but here's what happened. Here's what happened. There's this little boy, Cameron, that loved to come to camp. He, his mom said that he waited with great anticipation for the month of July every year because he knew he could come to the Cyclone basketball camp. Every year, this guy would come and try his hardest. God did not gift him with a lot of agility or coordination. And he wasn't very good, but he loved to play and he loved to learn. But more than anything, he loved to be around us, just to hang around us for three hours a day for a whole week. But the person that he revered the most was this guy, this great player that I told you about, to an ACC Division I school, to this little boy, Cameron, this guy was like a hero. And on the last day of camp, about the second or third year, this guy that I told you about walks over to Cameron and says, dude, why do you even come to camp? You're never gonna be any good, man. You're worth, let's just go home. Now, do you know why I called him a jerk? I saw Cameron, I saw the look in Cameron's face, destroyed him. I saw his mother a few years later and his mother told me he never recovered from that that his grades were bad in school, that he didn't want to play with his friends, that he just sat in his room because the person that he held in high regard most told him he was worthless, devalued him, and he actually believed that he would never amount to anything. You think words aren't powerful? Can you imagine what happened when Jacob went in to Isaac in the tent? And even though the words weren't meant for him, imagine what it had meant to him when he heard Isaac say, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. And to see the look of approval rather than disapproval on his father's face, even though down deep inside, he knew it really wasn't meant for him. 
What do we mean by blessing? I want to make sure we defined it. Here's what we mean when I say blessing. It is having the uniquely valuable person to you say, you are uniquely valuable to me. You got it? Having the uniquely valuable person to you, mother, father, husband, wife, somebody that you hold in high regard, say to you, you are uniquely valuable to me. We all want the people that we admire and respect the most to say, there is no one like you, whether it's a mom, a dad, a husband, a wife, a coach, whatever. Now here's where the sermon comes in. Because the fourth and final question is, what happens when you do not experience the power of blessing from those people? Okay. Do I have you? Listen to me. We said last week that the overarching principle by which we're going to interpret every part of this series is this, that direction, not intention, determines destination. That just because you want a happy marriage doesn't mean you're going to have one. Just because you want your kids to grow up with integrity and character doesn't mean they're going to do so. Just because you want to be financially secure in your older life doesn't mean you're going to be, especially if you're living above your means now. Direction, not intention, determines destination. So you've got to decide where you want to be and then get on the road that takes you there. Otherwise, it's just a pipe dream. It's a hope and a prayer and intention never trumps direction. Now, there are some roads we get on by choice that not only have the potential to destroy us, but everybody around us, we bring them down with us. And here's that road. It's the road that when you don't get words of affirmation from your parents, when you don't get words of affirmation from people you love, people you hold in high regard, you start going down a road of anger and bitterness and you don't love yourself, therefore no one else can love you and you get depressed and it's down a road that never ends. And you tend to take everybody around you, you hook them in and take them with you. Because when that happens, and it happens to a lot of lives, you're not alone in that. When it happens, you've got a few roads you have to choose which one you're going to walk on. Which path are you going to take? The one that leads to death or the one that leads to life? For most people, when they do not get the words they so desperately needed from mom or dad, most people do one of two things. The first thing they do is start scheming. Scheming means they start manipulating the situation around them so that they can get the blessing, even though down deep inside, they know they'll never get it that way. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I mean, I'm taking a leap here. I'm going to let you have a look into my family this weekend. I have three brothers, four boys in the family. My mother was a good Christian mom, whatever that means, relatively speaking. She came from a horrible family. My mother's father was an alcoholic and a gambler, which means he yelled at her all the time, especially when she asked for pencils or erasers or something for school. He would always yell. Gamblers always yell when people want money because they feel so guilty of the money they've wasted. So he yelled at her. He never told her she was beautiful. He never valued her, never gave her words of affirmation. She became a Christian later in life. She tried her best as best she could to raise four Christian boys, but she wasn't perfect. And she admitted later in life, that she did not treat my younger brother, Tony, like she treated the rest of us. She couldn't put her hand on why. He didn't understand why he wasn't treated equally. He didn't know why, but make no mistake, it created a situation of death in our family. My mother, when she got older, went to counseling to try to discover what she had done. And the counselor helped her discover that the reason she looked at my younger brother, Tony, with such discouragement and disdain was because my younger brother reminded her of her childhood. 
Imagine when my mom grew up, it wasn't very popular to be skinny. And she was so skinny that people would make fun of her. Can you imagine that? Would ridicule her because she wasn't physically attractive. When she looked at my brother, Tony, she saw a picture of her for more life and she tried to run away and avoid it. My younger brother, Tony, wasn't very attractive. He had a bad case of acne that stayed with him most of his teenage years. He ate peanut butter only. That's basically all he ate most of his life. He was a unique child. And mom, because of that, rather than embracing him and encouraging him, disappointed him, went away from him, ignored him, and he felt every single bit of it. Later in my mom's life, she desperately wanted to restore with my younger brother. She confessed to him what she had done, and she was so heartbroken that she would ever do something like that, but it was too late. My brother had been hurt to such a degree. When my mom confessed her sin to him, what he wanted to do now was spend the rest of his life hurting his mother to get back with all the anger and bitterness that he felt he wanted to get back. In fact, he wanted to get back at my mother so badly that he did a couple of things. Number one, he abused his health and made himself look worse and worse so that every time he visited the home, uh, he would look at mom and say, look, how do I look now, mom? What do you think? He got into drugs, got into alcohol. He ate stuff he should never, he became a diabetic. He just abused himself. And every time he'd come home, he'd love to see the sad and the pain and the look on mom's face. She couldn't hide it. She didn't hide it very well. She was hurting because she knew her son was hurting himself, that it might hurt her, and it was. My brother could never have a happy, successful marriage. Three wives later, still trying to find the love of his life. And do you know why? You cannot love someone, ladies, that doesn't love himself. Have you ever heard the statement, it's difficult to hug a porcupine? And it is. If you don't love yourself, no one else can love you. The problem is if you don't get the affirmation and the words that you need to hear, chances are very slim that you'll ever love yourself. I've seen this happen with moms and dads, with husbands and wives. A wife who does not get the words that she desperately needs from the husband, do you know what she does? She goes out and tries to create scenarios whereby there's a sense of dependency. She needs to know that somebody depends on her if it's not her husband. So she'll go to work and be domineering. And she'll say, you can't live without me. You know, you need me around this place. And the very thing she wants, affirmation, is the very thing she doesn't get because nobody likes her. Or she'll go into the family and she'll create a sense of dependency, never allowing the children to grow up. Because if the children grow up, that means they won't need her anymore. So she creates this environment where they depend on her so they're still at home when they're 45. And everybody thinks it's the child's fault. In reality, the mother doesn't want them to move out, doesn't want them to grow up because if they go, she'll lose her sense of affirmation and she'll feel she has no significance in life. I've seen these moms like this. They'll go out and they'll create a sense of codependency by surrounding themselves with people who are high maintenance. Have you ever met a high maintenance person? Have you? Wives beside your husband, have you ever met a high maintenance person? Have you? And they'll go out and they'll create a sense of needy people because if needy people are around them, then they can meet that need and then they'll have a sense of affirmation that I am needed, I am special, I am unique. Sometimes they're at churches and they'll serve on every committee possible. And it's not necessarily only because they love God and want to serve him, it's because they want everybody to say, look, that's a righteous woman right there. We need her. A sense of affirmation that she doesn't get somewhere else. She'll create the environment to make sure she gets it in a different arena. 
The first road people take is that road. And it's a horrible road because you never get the very thing you're working so hard for. You manipulate circumstances around you and it backfires and you get the very opposite. Nobody likes you. You're hateful, you're bitter, you're angry, and you're pulling everybody down with you. And it's all to manipulate the circumstances to get the blessing that you think you deserve and you probably did and never got. You know what the second thing is that you do? You're dressed up like somebody else. Don't you think it's a shame? that Jacob had to dress up like his brother Esau in order to be accepted by his father. You put on a persona that's not you because you think the real you will never be accepted. It's not only at home, it goes with you for the rest of your life. That's the end of today with Jeff Vines. Please join us next time when we'll hear the rest of Pastor Jeff's message about the power of a blessing. And I started thinking about this, wait a minute. This story sounds familiar. The best father of all time, God, when his son was baptized, said, this is my beloved son. I love him. With whom I'm well pleased. I'm proud of him. Listen to him. He's a really good teacher. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.